Hey there, everybody. Thank you again for joining me for the Hold Fast podcast. I am your host, Josh Collier. I just want to say a quick word of thanks to those that uh, are listening and those that have told me that they are enjoying it. I'm still starting out, still working out the bugs, but I, I believe in the things that I have to say because I believe in the gospel and I believe that it is the best place that we can go to to help us to gain strength because it's not our own strength that helps us. It's strength that we can draw from God through his word. And so again, I thank you for those that are encouraging me to continue on and doing this. And hopefully as I continue to do this, I'll fine tune this little process and we'll get better and better. Today we have an extra double sized episode. I know I like to normally keep them under 15 minutes if I can, but I sat down with my buddy Gabe Chavez and me and Gabe we can just talk. We can just talk for such a long time on any subject from the gospel to the Avengers, and uh, we often do. But in this particular episode, we sat down and I gave uh, Gabe a chance to talk about something that he's very, very passionate about. And then we talked more about a subject that really hits a lot of new Christians, and that is when they are converted to Christ, but they might be one of the only ones in their family and the struggle that comes with that. So while this is a little bit of a longer episode, I really feel that it is a good one. I hope that you will give it a listen. And whether you are feeling that you are alone in your family with Christ or you know somebody who is, these are some words that you can give them, draw strength from the Bible, and and looking at the fact that even if you are alone in your biological family, you have a spiritual family, and that you can hold fast through that. So here's me and Gabe talking a little bit about those things. So Gabe, whenever I have another preacher evangelist on here, I like to ask them this question. While there are many, many things that are important in the work of an evangelist, what is one particular thing that you are passionate about? I think I know what the answer is and it makes total sense, but I want to ask you anyway, what is something as an evangelist you are passionate about? You know, just something that I have always really felt very passionate about is foreign evangelism. You know, you see churches from the United States or not. It doesn't have to be from the United States. Just going to different, you know, places in the world and preaching to the people there and and converting souls to Christ. It's always been a, a very big passion of mine. I think part of that has to be because of the fact that I am a product of foreign evangelism. <laughs> yeah, it makes it important to you, doesn't yeah, it? you know, it, it makes you more invested in it, I think. <laughs> right. Um... You know, I was from I'm I was living in Costa Rica at the time and I was born I was born and partially raised in Costa Rica and some preachers came down to Costa Rica and that's how they introduced me to the gospel and that's how I became a Christian. So, you know, if it hadn't been for them, I would not be where I am. I would not be preaching the gospel, I think, if it hadn't been because somebody took an interest in going to a different country and preaching there. And I'm internally grateful for the men who did that. Um, and 
I became a Christian in Costa Rica, and then a little bit after that, I went to Florida College, and I went to school there. And around February time, they always do these lectures where mm -hmm. you know, these preachers come and they right. you know, talk about different subjects. And with all due respect to all the other lectures, my favorite lectures during that time were always the ones on foreign evangelism. I yeah. loved hearing about the work that the brethren were doing in Ethiopia. You know, I loved hearing about, you know, it was the brother who would go to Italy and preach to the brethren there. Those to me were always the ones that I just felt really fired up. You know, when you hear something and you just feel like, oh, I have to go do this. Those were always the ones that I felt really passionate about. Um, they did one on Costa Rica and, uh, and it was just, it was a little weird, you know, see... <laughs> Were you hoping to show up somewhere in the talk? Yeah, yeah. I, was like, I actually did, and I was oh, like, you did. I did, did, did. He started talking about me, and I was like, oh no. <laughs> but uh, besides that, though, besides those, I mean, they they were always just my my most favorite lectures, and I think one of the reasons why is because not just because I was a product of it, but it's because you really see the Book of Acts, you know, in in real life, you know, Paul. Paul, you, we have records of Paul going to different churches and preaching to the brethren there and converting souls. You know, he goes to Macedonia, he goes to Athens, he goes to Jerusalem. And all of these places where he goes, you know, Christians are added to the church. And it's just amazing that that, that happens. And so when I see brethren doing that today, I really see the book of Acts come to life. And, you know, it's funny, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, Josh. But when you read Acts, Acts, you know Acts twenty-eight. It it how do you, how do you feel that it ends? It almost ends. I don't know. Maybe on a is it a sad note? Like Paul's in prison, right? Yeah, it just ends, and it also, to me at least, it ends kind of abruptly. You know, there's yeah. no like the end. I don't. Oh, you know, the end, right? You know, there's no like, there's no like definitive ending. It just has Paul in prison, you know, in house arrest in Rome, and that's it. And, you know, for years and years, I've always just thought, well, that's a bit of a disappointing ending to this book. But then it, it was pointed out to me that, well, it's because Acts isn't really over, is it? Mm. You know, we are living Acts 29, if you want to say it that way. Oh, that's awesome. Because just think about it. Think about it today. You know, America wasn't even a country in, in Acts 28. And now there are churches here in the United States. There are churches in Texas. And every day when we go out and we evangelize here in America or around the world, are we not fulfilling Jesus' command to go into all the world and preach the gospel? You know, and so to me, that is the essence of foreign evangelism because when we're thinking about it, even in America, we are an extension of Acts 28. And so Acts 28 really is that never-ending story. That is so cool to think of it that we are Acts 29. Yeah. We are the 29th chapter of Acts because the story is not over. We're still spreading the gospel. That is an awesome, awesome way to put it. Thank you for sharing that. But as we're talking about foreign evangelism, one of the things that I know happens sometimes, one of the consequences of this is the fact that somebody goes in and they do some converting, but a lot of times, isn't it true, like, families get split because maybe one person believes and other people don't. And if it's a country that's very, that has a very 
high Catholic rate or something that where there's an agnostic rate, though families are split. Isn't that true? Yes, and that is an unfortunate consequence of that when you go to countries or even areas in America where they're very one thing, you know, whether mm-hmm. they're very irreligious or they're very just one specific religion. And, you know, that's just one of the consequences that, that happens, but it's a universal issue, you know. Uh, I myself uh, have faced some of the consequences of becoming a Christian and having non-believing family members. And so if I am a Christian and I'm the only one in my family that is a Christian, what, what is it that I can do? That's got to be one of the worst feelings in the world. That's a real storm that you've got to just weather and go through. How can I hold fast to my Christianity when I'm the only Christian in my family? What is it that, that can help me? You know you're you're absolutely right. Um it's it's something that is can can really depress you because I think for two reasons. One is because you you have this joy that you are a Christian, you're walking a new life with Christ and you want to share that. And right. sometimes people within your own family don't want to experience that, so to speak. Right. And also I think it's because you understand the urgency of that we are not guaranteed a tomorrow. Mm-mm. And so our time is precious. And so we need to be gaining as many souls to Christ before our time is too late and before their time is too late. But something that encourages me, and uh, I think not just me, but any Christian who is going through this, is we we need to go to the Bible. And not only that, but we need to see the example of Jesus. The example of Jesus. Because, you know, funny enough, we don't think about this, but even Jesus' own brothers did not believe him. You know, as we see in the Bible, after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary had more sons and daughters. Mm -hmm. And from scriptures, it says that they didn't believe in Jesus. Right. I mean, just look at Mark chapter 3, verse 21. There it says this, And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. This is talking about Jesus. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. (laughs) I I can only imagine, like, Jesus is talking, he's doing all of these things, and he's talking about how he's the son of God, and his brothers and sisters like, no, he's not. (laughs) He's crazy. He's out of his mind. And and you're absolutely right. What was it uh, in in John 7, uh, when I read that, when they were trying to kick him out, you can almost almost hear the, the contempt and the mocking in his brother's voice. Um, John 7, starting in verse 3. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And then verse 5 says, For not even his brothers believed in him. They were like teasing him, like, just, just go out of here and take your works and your signs with you. They not even, That's such a great point. They didn't even believe him. Exactly. And uh, when we read the, the Gospels, we see Jesus with his followers and them so fervently following him. But what we sometimes don't really think about is that, yeah, you know, you had Peter, James and John with Jesus all the time. But the people who should have been closest to him, his mother and his brothers, didn't really believe. And like you just pointed out, they kind of made fun of him in a way. You know, they didn't really think he was doing the right thing or they thought something's wrong with him. So Jesus, um, Jesus lived with his brothers, and they didn't even they didn't even follow him. But, like, sometimes I wonder if 
we expect too much. We are like, we're very zealous for Jesus right after we've been baptized, right? And I wonder if we sometimes expect too much out of ourself too soon. Yes, I, I definitely understand what you're coming from, but we, we expect of ourselves too much that we think we can just go out and, you know, basically do what Paul did or, or that. and Especially with our own family. Like, look, I saw the truth. I've been a Christian. It'll be so easy. Exactly. Because you just expect it that it's going to happen like that. You right. Know, it's it's going to be quick. But something to just think about, really, is Jesus lived with his family for about 30 years. And he started his ministry when he was around 30. So we're talking about 33, 35 years, maybe, where Jesus was with them. Jesus, you know, lived with them. He was always an example to them. That's right, because it's not like he was just a good boy when he turned 30. I mean, we don't have a lot about his youth, but he was always very much about his father's business. So he was always a good example for, for them for the, for 30 years. And, and, you know, sometimes we feel sad because maybe we've been a Christian for, you know, a year, two years, or maybe five, ten years, and yet our family, you know, hasn't responded to the gospel or, or hasn't had any everlasting change. But, you know, Jesus had 30 years, and it took, you know, and it took time for them to eventually, you know, change their minds. And what we see is that there was eventually a change within them. You're absolutely right. There is kind of a, there, no, not kind of, there definitely is a happy ending with the Jesus and his brother's story. We know that when we read in Acts chapter 14, excuse me, Acts chapter 1 in verse 14, uh, all these people are together. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary and the mother, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So his brothers were there with all of the disciples after Jesus died. Exactly. And that's just such a radical change. Remember, in John 7, it's saying that not even his brothers believed him. And in Mark, it's saying they thought he was crazy. And here... They are with the other apostles. Here they are dedicated. So we often think, well, what happened? What caused these people to change? Uh, and it was the fact that he appeared to them. It was the appearance of Jesus that changed some of these. Um, and we can read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This, this is a really interesting part in the, the life of Jesus' brother, I think. So 1 Corinthians 15 we're starting verse 3. For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared. And now it's listing people that he appeared to. He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, Though some have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Now, Gabe, who is the James in this passage? Well, you know, this is James, the brother of Jesus. He got a personal appearance by his brother. And isn't that just amazing? He got uh, his own, you know, you, you see, you know, the 12, you see 500 people. But James, he gets his own 
appearance of Christ. Of all of the appearances, this is the one I'm most interested in. I'm not going to lie. I can't imagine being James, mocking your brother while he's alive for his claims, and then realizing the truth and having that, this is not my brother, this is the resurrected Messiah coming to me personally. Exactly, and how much of an impact in his life that must have made, and not only that, but what happened to James after that? James became a great leader in the church, he was a great elder, and because of that, he was converted, and we have the book of James. The book of James that we read in our New Testament that talks so much about how we live our Christian life and how to control our tongue and how to be good good with our actions and not just our faith. That comes from the brother of Jesus who spent most of his life not believing in Jesus. It's incredible. And not only just the book of James, but you know, you have another book in there. We have the book of Jude. And Jude was probably written by Jesus' other brother, Jude. Jude wrote a book. And we see this legacy of Jesus' family coming around and coming to believe him and being faithful. And we even have evidence that they shared that faith with future generations. Eusebius, who was a church historian, mm -hmm. he wrote that in the mid-140s, there was a man who was a leader in the church of Jerusalem. And his name was Judah Kyriakos. Get this. So he was Jude's great grandson. So this would have been Jesus' great-grandnephew is still being a leader in the church. Isn't that amazing? That, that's amazing to me. We still have a lineage of Jesus being a great example in the church uh, because his brother, Jude, chose to follow him and then the generations that followed. So that's just another great lesson for uh, following Jesus for the future generations. But I think it's important. This might seem weird, but... I want us to make sure that if you are one of those people who has family members that are not Christians and you are struggling with how to handle this, when, when we read about Jesus and his brothers, we have to realize that the change came when they met the risen Jesus. When they realized that Jesus died for them and rose just like the prophecies said, that is when they became Christians. And so I think maybe, Gabe, could we say that, you know, your family members, they're not really going to know until they've met the risen Jesus. Exactly. And, and I think ultimately Jesus is the one that's going to cause that change. And we have to put ourselves in maybe their shoes and see, you know, this is your brother. This is somebody that you, you, you grew up with. You know right, what I mean? Right. This is somebody who you played with and now they're saying that they're the Messiah and they're saying that they're fulfilling all these prophecies. But what really caused that change for James, what really caused that change for his other brothers, even his mother we can see, is Jesus was raised the risen jesus the resurrection is what changed jesus's brother's attitude and the resurrection is what's going to change our family members attitude as well absolutely it's going to be jesus that does it um paul said i planted apollos watered god gave the increase giving god the glory for the change in the heart jesus is going to do that when they recognize who 
that is. And so while just like Jesus, you can spend 30 years being that good example and planting those good seeds and not giving up on them, but it's going to be exposure to the risen Jesus, that, 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 that change, that that's what's going to change them in their own heart. And that might take time. Uh, I know of a man who he became a Christian in his late 20s, and his mom did not become a Christian until she was in her 90s. Mm. So it takes time. It can take time. But in the meantime, there are things that we can be doing until they make that decision to follow Christ. So what? So I'm trying to hold fast. I'm trying to gain strength. What can I do besides remembering Jesus and his brothers? And that's a wonderful example. But what can I be doing? Well, that example of Jesus and his brothers should encourage us, mm-hmm. should encourage us to see that there is hope, there is a possibility. But not only that, but let's not forget how important prayer is yes. for ourselves to encourage us and to encourage others. Yes. I mean, let's just look at what James, <laughs> Jesus' brother, <laughs> right, has to say about this. Look at right. what it says in James chapter 5, verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Yet yeah, the, the brother of Jesus talking about prayer, uh, Jesus prayed for all of the disciples. Before he left, he prayed for, for everyone that would one day be a disciple, all those that would follow. He was praying for his brother James as well. And so now James is saying, look, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful. Don't stop praying for your family. Because we have to remember, what was it I heard a preacher say one time? You know, prayer is not a passive thing. Prayer is active. What can I do? Pray. It is an action. It is an active thing that you can do. You pray for your family. You never stop praying for them. And, and don't you think we need to realize that while, while we sometimes feel that we are alone in our family, truth is we're not really alone in our family, are we? No, not at all. And one of the most genius things that God ever did. <laughs> like he knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's talking about. <laughs> One of the, the amazing things that God in his wisdom did was he, ha- he created the church. He has this church. And that should help us realize that we're not alone. You know, we're, we're not supposed to be Christians on our own. Right. We have community. We have the church. And we have a spiritual family that can help us draw strength from while we're waiting for our biological families to become part of our spirit. I mean, what do, we call, what do we call the men and the women that we go to church with? Brothers, Brothers and sisters. Exactly. Yeah, right. Um, in Ephesians chapter 2, he, Paul was talking about this. It says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Again, I think... It, God is called our Father. You've got a biological, you've got a f- familial kind of thing there. And then in verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are also fellow citizens with the saints and members in the household of God. We are all together in God's house, in one family. So while we have this spiritual family that we are hoping one day to join our biological family to. We have another family to draw strength from while trying to save our other family. Amen, exactly. We have brothers and sisters, spiritual brothers and sisters that can encourage us, that can help us along the way. I know from personal experience, from people encouraging me and me encouraging people who have to go through patience, who have to be praying, who have to go through hardship and waiting for that family for them to come to Christ 
And I know that that has encouraged me and others as well so much, just so much to have that family help me, that spiritual family. That spiritual family, that, that you're right. I love what you're saying. You know, it's really tough to be a Christian all by yourself. I know there's some places that, that, that do it, but if you do have a church family that's near you, you've got to be taking advantage of that. You need to be meeting with the saints that are in your area so that you can draw strength from that family. But, you know, as we, as we wrap up, as I think it's important that we realize you, know, you must always have faith that God is working on the hearts of your family. And, of course, you've got to have patience. And, again, I think it's really interesting when we look at James, the brother of Jesus, talking about Patience in James chapter 5, starting in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. James, and can, Gabe, can't you just kind of hear and know James's thoughts here that like his brother was patient with him. His brother Jesus was patient with him. Exactly. And you just see how much he has changed. You know, here he says in verse 5, until the coming of the Lord. Who is the Lord that he's talking about there? He's talking about Lord Jesus. He's talking about his brother, but he's not referring to him as his brother, is it? Until the coming of the Lord. Exactly. He's talking about his his brother as the Lord, and you just see the giant change that James went through. James realized that his brother didn't give up on him. And if we can hold fast, if we can remember the example of our own Lord, if we can pray for them, if we can have faith, if we can realize that we have a spiritual family, that we are not alone, but all the while keep being that good example Maybe one day, Lord willing, your family may look back and they're going to thank God that you did not give up on them either. You held fast for yourself and you held fast for them. Gabe, I'm really thankful that you came in to talk with us today. I know that you are doing good work in Texas. I know that you are still doing good work in Costa Rica. And I hope that we could take your passion for foreign evangelism and take it as just passion for evangelism all over the world. Thank you so much, Gabe. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And I think this was a really constructive discussion. And just remember, let's be praying for the brethren in other places, for the brethren here in America. And let's be praying that everyone's family can be both, both spiritual and biological, can be united under Jesus Christ. Just as James saw that we can be one in our mutual Lord and Savior, Jesus. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Again. Thank you. God bless you, brother.